0: For those who don't have the 20-pager, we'll try to cover this in a way where you're not too disadvantaged because you don't have the 20 pages in front of you. For anyone on the phone, there are various ways to get the 20-pager, and we strongly recommend it. You may be able to access it from the website. Is that right, Mike? Yes, you can. Actually, telltales.us
1: will get you there. Very good. Every week, we send an email out with it. Excellent. Welcome to Telltales, an
2: investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S. For additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.
0: Let's get started. I'm going to start from the backboard again. Exhibit C, the price of oil. at WTI is trading over 80 Brent, which generally trades for $3, $4 to five dollars higher, is trading at 85 This is fairly unprecedented. If you look at exhibit C, the surplus capacity in the world, which is with Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, some Russian possibly, is four million barrels. When there's four million barrels of surplus capacity, in other words, it could be produced, but isn't being produced, generally the price of oil does not go up. The best thing I think The extent that you own a stock that has oil production is to just not count on it continuing, but enjoy the cash flow. If we turn to Exhibit B, which has down at the bottom oil pricing, the way to look at the history, I think, is to look at the 23 pricing, which, of course, in the beginning of 22 was a future price. That was 73. When you got to the middle of twenty-two, the future price, remember this is you know, after Ukraine happened, the futures price for twenty-three was eighty-eight. By the time we got to October, it had declined to seventy-seven. And last Friday it was seventy-nine. So and the current price was seventy-nine. The amount of backwardation, in other words, the future price lower than the current price, has really shrunk quite a lot. Uh, The 24 price is $75, where the backwardation two years at the beginning of 22 was like $12. $80 is where the market is. There's the old expression don't fight the tape, but, you know, OPEC plus Russia and Saudi with withdrawing a million barrels a day for July, August, and now they've said they're going to do the same thing for September is what's holding that price up. So it's not a terribly comfortable situation, but it is what it is. In natural gas pricing, the problem has been in natural gas that production, again, this is on exhibit B, was 90 Bs a day, average in 2020 2020 the natural gas price only averaged 220 that was a very low price by 21 it rebounded so it averaged 370 and production went up from 90 to 91 so production went up 91 you know by one b a day but in 22 it was 95 so it went up four bees a day. Now, in 22, and you could start to see this happen with the Ukraine invasion and whatnot, gas averaged $6. So price meant more rates, which meant more production. And that continued. So in 23, it goes from 95 to 101, up by six bees a day. And what do you know? We create a surplus. And on early call today we were discussing power prices in texas where it continues to be very hot power prices have been pretty well behaved considering how hot it is but power prices are generally 50 or 60 dollars per megawatt hour when power prices are 50 or 60 dollars per megawatt hours almost always the price of gas in the same location is five or six dollars it's not it's under three dollars so the surplus that developed, and you can say it developed from a warm winter, and to a certain extent, that's right. But what really happened is from 21 to 23, gas production went up by 10 Bs a day. Well, everyone says LNG, LNG, LNG. Well, during that period, LNG demand went up by three Bs a day. Well, 10 Bs a day is a hell of a lot more than three Bs a day, and power demand, is gonna be up in twenty three. It's gonna be thirty-five up from thirty one in twenty one. So that's good. That's four. But everything else is flat. So in twenty one, gas and supply and demand was about balanced. In twenty three, gas supply and demand is off by three B's a day. Three Bs a day times three hundred and sixty five days, that's a trillion of gas our entire gas and storage when we get filled up say in november to you know draw down in the winter and then you add in the summer is like a little more than four trillion i mean this is oversupply now what's going to cure this oversupply people say lng lng the thing is it takes these plants they're being built there there's you know there's thousands of employees on these sites and you know you know subcontractor employees i mean they're getting built they will be built but the best prediction we can find for how much that's going to mean in 24 is another one and a half bees a day in 25 another one and a half bees a day i mean eventually it's you know it's eight or nine bees a day and it will get built but it takes a long time to build these lng trains the positive thing about getting back to 350 or $4 for gas price assumes that the production growth flattens out. And it has so far in 23. It's averaging about 101 B's a day and it's flat. But this prediction or forecast or guess or whatever you want to call it, a $4 gas in 25 and 350 gas in 24, depends on that gas supply remaining pretty modest compared to the increase in 22 and the increase in 23. So just a note of caution on gas. On Exhibit A, another note of caution. Here we have a CBO forecast, and we'll try to get an update for the CBO forecast. It's Congressional Budget Office. Under the Congressional Budget Office for the fiscal year, our federal government is on a September year, so here we are, at the beginning of August. We have two more months to go in the fiscal year. I think these numbers are still reasonably good, but when you take out the revenue, which is almost you know like 4.8 trillion in the GNP, all the goods produced in our country at 26.2, that's fairly high relative to you know revenue versus GNP. So. The people who say the problem with the budget deficit is we're not taxing enough. You know, the percentage of federal revenue to GMP is fairly high. What we need here is some spending restraint. When you take out Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, pensions, interest and defense, you come to all other. All other pre-COVID in 2019 was $910 billion. All other predicted for the year that we're about to finish is a trillion four. There isn't room for the Congress, the House lead, and the, and then the Senate, you know, doing their twelve appropriation bills or continuing resolution or whatever the heck they're going to do. They don't have a trillion four to spend because our deficit is a trillion four. I mean, the money is not there now. The news yesterday was that the third rating agency, Fitch, the senior rating agency is Moody's, the second is Standard Poor's, and the third is Fitch. Fitch reduced, pulled the AAA rating of the U.S. government. Standard Poor's did that like 10 years ago. Moody's, the senior rating agency, is you know sitting there with the AAA those really don't make too much difference. I mean, the stock market's down today because of it or something else that, that spooked the stock market. But but the truth is that this spending level is not sustainable. And the risk to the US Treasury and to whoever's in power is that you hold a treasury auction and not that many people show up. Now, what will happen is the interest rate will go higher. Uh, Mike and I were talking about this this morning. I, the 10-year the treasury rate is now 4%. In order to raise money, is it going to take a 10-year treasury rate of 5%? I mean, interest is the price of money. Let, let's think about interest rates from the Great Recession, I guess they call it, 08-09, which was the worst business decline we had since the Depression in the 30s. The way that the Fed came back from that was quantitative easing and very low interest rates, negative interest rates. At the time, in these Wednesday calls, or wherever they were, Saturday or whenever, we pointed out that the Fed was having trouble getting inflation going. They wanted an inflation rate of 2%. In fact, when the Fed says they want to get the inflation rate down to 2%, the genesis of the 2% is during this period of deflation, they were worried about getting the inflation rate up to 2%. So, the target to get it up to in the period after 08, 09 became the target to get it down to. I, I, I don't think there's a heck of a lot more justification than that. There wasn't price inflation, but there was asset inflation. Asset inflation was caused by next, next to the negative interest rate. What's the negative interest rate? Negative interest rate is when the interest rate is 2 is less than the inflation rate and and it bulled prices i mean stocks traded higher houses traded higher you know all assets traded higher and the opposite will happen with higher interest rates there is no way in our political system to effectively get that trillion four of all other down that work on it and We'll try to eliminate things, you know, that don't need to be spent. But how does this all get resolved? Unclear. Unclear. During the Clinton administration, we ran a budget surplus. Clinton became convinced that running a budget surplus was going to get him reelected. And uh, James Carville, who was his key political consultant, famously said at that time, if he believed in reincarnation, he'd like to come back as a long bond." And it worked. It worked. You know, impossible to think about now. But during the Clinton administration, they actually ran a surplus. It's hard to imagine with Trump lading and Biden lading that there's going to be the political will to try to do something like that. But don't think there's any other way out. Now, the main thing and, and we, we're focused on healthcare. We're gonna talk about healthcare more today and next Wednesday and the Wednesday after that the place where you could really save money is healthcare. We spend 19% of our GMP on healthcare. And, you know, it's it's the old story. If you have to reduce your spending by a lot of money, go to where you're doing a lot of spending. Every other developed country spends, you know, 11 or 12% of their GMP. So if it comes to that, that's where there's going to be some contraction. And with that, you know, I've blown through 15 minutes I'm just gonna see if Mike or Jason have anything to add to the first fifteen minutes of our call.
3: No, yeah, I, I completely understand the rating downgrade. It, it I think it's justifiable.
1: I also think it
0: doesn't really matter
3: that much either. No. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, we get away with it because we're the world's reserve currency. In time we will be less of the world's reserve currency because uh the euro dollar which, remember, it wasn't too many years ago that Italy, Portugal, Greece were, we're not, maybe Spain, were not going to be able to avoid a payment default. And Mario Draghi, who was the head of the European Central Bank at that time, got up and uttered those words, which turned things around, which was whatever it takes. Now, half of, half of the Eurozone GMP is Germany. Germany's actually in a recession now. The Germans hate debt. So if you do any kind of an analysis of the Chinese, which hold all their debt in the provincial, in the provinces, or the U.S., which has a lot of federal debt, actually not that much debt in the state level, and then the Eurozone, the Eurozone pulled all together is actually in pretty good shape, debt versus revenue or cash flow. Problem is that the weaker countries in the Eurozone are the ones in you know, the Club Med countries, as the Germans like to say, you know, if you had to take a contract in euros or contract in dollars, you may still want to take the contract in dollars. But but the status of the dollars of reserve currency is, is not completely assured. With that, I think we'd like to split the remaining 15 minutes between AI developments and healthcare. And Mike's going to lead that on the healthcare first with his colleague, Jason, and I'm going to stand down. So over to you, Mike. Sure. So
1: we've hinted at and we've discussed a little bit with a handful of companies, especially Moderna and BioNTech, that have large cash piles and are investing in various things that could be more or less game-changing for healthcare. It was fairly impressive what happened with the COVID vaccines and how quickly they were developed the way those work we think are fairly interesting and the there are a lot of people taking that same technology to apply it to cancer and we've spent a decent amount of time um more so Jason. So i'll i'll pepper him with some questions here and we'll see how this goes say so, like what what are some of the things we should be aware of in paying attention to developments in cancer. So let's start with high level. What is a cancerous cell and what are the commonalities among different forms of cancer?
3: Yeah, actually there's some research recently out of Yale in conjunction with our friends at Cold Spring Harbor Lab that there's been this known commonality between all cancers that they all have extra chromosomes. And you know, usually you hear a really great idea and, and it hits you, and it's like, "Why didn't we think of that?" It's a no-brainer. When I read this research, I I kind of felt the same way. So, what the researchers found was um, they now have this tool called CRISPR, where they can edit the the genes in a cell. Where in the past, you know, we just observed that they were there, and 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 no one really knew if if the extra chromosome in the cancer cell was caused by the cancer or a reason that it was cancerous. So what the researchers did was cut out the extra chromosome um, in, in these cancerous cells. And what they found was it can no longer form tumors. So the the big revelation there is is now we know that this extra chromosome is, is somehow critical to the, the growth of a tumor. And now we can target therapies at that specifically. So some of the ways they're talking about that are they can focus the therapy towards genes that are replicated between, you know, the normal, the, the chromosome that's expected and the chromosome that's duplicated. And maybe there's some overexpression of different genes and, and they can kind of go after that within the cancer.
1: Right. You, you actually went more in the weeds than I was intending, but the, oh. the, but, <laughs> but no, no, that, I, I, I think that that one piece of research is fascinating and, but in general cancer cells, just one that duplicates more than it's supposed to. Right.
3: Like, right. Yeah. And And, and it's, you know, it, it looks like a normal cell in your body to some extent. So your immune system does not attack it and does not clear it.
1: Mm-hmm. And so it's historically there's like chemotherapy was one way that we tried to kill off those cells, right? Cause the concept is, is, these cells are bad, but your body won't automatically kill them. So let's put something in there that will go after them. Maybe it'd be good to hit like a couple of the high level types of treatments because some of, some of these are new. Some of them are so new that nothing's been all the way through trials. Yeah.
3: One of them that is, well, BioNTech's researching it now, and, and there's actually been one approved therapy with it, is an antibody drug conjugate. So that's, you can think of it as taking, taking some sort of toxin, a chemotherapy agent, binding it to a monoclonal antibody that will then bind to the receptor of a cancerous cell. So instead of just dumping the poison into the body like a, a historically, you know, our, our traditional chemotherapy treatment might be, you're putting the you're, – you're delivering that toxin directly to the cell. So when the, when the antibody binds to the receptor on the cancerous cell, it lets it inside the cell, and then you're poisoning just that cancerous cell. And then the first approved form of therapy there is, is from CGen for treating cervical cancer. Um, so – little mer- merger arbitrage opportunity. <laughs> right, 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 right.
1: Which, yeah, that hasn't closed yet.
2: Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Top Mark Capital. They're not your typical hedge fund. They use a blend of best practices from value investing, venture capital, and private equity, which gives them a unique perspective on market dynamics. And the results truly speak for themselves. Since inception in 2012, they've turned each dollar invested into more than $7 after all fees. Yes, you heard that right, $7. That's over 22% on an annualized basis. So, if you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative, emerging manager who truly understands the dynamics of the market and how to deliver impressive returns, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. And now back to the show.
0: One of the things that interests me is when I became aware of NVIDIA back many years ago, it had free cash flow. And it I didn't even really know what a GPU was. And I remember one of the early triumphs was getting their GPU into the Microsoft Xbox. And Mike pointed out this morning that they had to take pretty low price for their GPUs, so they didn't make too much money out of it. But gaming was how GPUs, which probably we ought to have Mike or Jason explain why GPUs are so much more valuable, why they're needed for artificial as compared to CPUs, just so that we get it into our head. But before we do that, NVIDIA always had free cash flow. NVIDIA didn't need to sell stock. NVIDIA had a dividend. So to the extent that we can find companies in the healthcare area that either have a lot of cash on hand, as BioNTech does, because of all the money they made from the COVID vaccine, or companies like Lantham, who have some potential here and do have free cash flow, that if we're looking for something that's you know a double jump or a, a, a gap up, I love the idea of having a gap up or the potential for gap up while you still have free cash flow. So with that, why don't we just have a quick refresher on what a CPU is and the difference between a GPU and a CPU and why it's made such a difference to NVIDIA.
3: Yeah, a, a CPU, originally they were just, you know, one core, and now we have, you know, four or eight core CPUs, so... Maybe, maybe we should just describe what a core is. <laughs> yeah, well, a, you know, a, a CPU on a chip, uh, like yeah. a, a processing unit. So it's a low number. It was one, and now it's, you know less than 10, but it it processes linearly, you know, a, a set of calculations and it's, it's really generalized. So it can handle, you know, a lot of different tasks that your computer needs it to do. But one of the tasks that's really demanding is processing graphics, but processing graphics is all, you know, linear algebra and vector math. So it's, it's all, you know, you're, you're calculating numbers so they, they created a, a graphical processing unit. And what it has is, you know, hundreds or thousands of, of these cores. So they can process they can process math calculations parallelized much faster. It was really specifically for generating graphics and, and generating 3D images on your screen. So the the original cases, you know, are, are obviously video games and and they were trying to make realistic looking video games with drawing polygons. So a lot of vector math goes into doing that and they had to do it fast enough where the human eye didn't perceive a lot of lag as they're viewing the image. Um, And it just so happens that doing machine learning tasks is a tremendous amount of linear algebra and it just happened to be very well suited for it. So it's all doing math equations in parallel to come up with answers when you ask ChatGPT a question.
1: So it would be a stretch to say that when Jensen and the other founders of NVIDIA founded the company, at that point, which was quite a while ago, the vision wasn't that it was going to be used for AI related stuff. But that did surface along the way, I think around 2007, between 2007 and 2012, sort of realized there's no reason you couldn't use GPUs for something other than graphics.
3: Right. Yeah. Jensen still calls it accelerated computing. And that's originally what they're thinking of using GPUs for at that time in 2007 is when you when you think about cryptography and encryption of of data and and what you're sending over the Internet. That, again, is a lot of mathematical processing. So really the first uses of a GPU for something non graphics related was cryptography. So I'm probably adding and breaking encryption.
0: <laughs> so that that's that's a leap up behind the video GPUs and AI, and what I'm as, as an investor looking for, pushing pushing myself and Mike and Jason and anyone else is: do we have something in the treatment of cancer that will be like that? If we can combine having some promise with free cash flow, I mean, I think as an investor. Those are the kinds of assets you want to hold. With that, we've run out of time, but more on this next Wednesday. And thanks for your attention and be well and keep healthy. Take care.
2: The views expressed on this podcast are the hosts alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the hosts nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned.